Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning, and you are with Lyle and Angela. Angela, you're still here. You let me back. I don't know. <laughs> you're glutton for punishment, or were you just desperate? Um, um, should we answer that question? No, we are super glad to have you back. Thank you so much for continuing to be here. And uh, yeah, we. We're kind of a little unsure of our future at the moment. We will take one day at a time. So <laughs> super glad you are here today, Angela. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for this past weekend. I had the privilege of having um, a special training seminar with David, the, the guest speaker you have every Wednesday interview. And I got training in how to run a depression and anxiety Nedley recovery program. And so I am very empowered right now and quite encouraged. That's fantastic. And I hear lots of good reports about what's been happening there with the uh, Depression Recovery Program over at Raymond Terrace. So super exciting to see lots of people being trained and in that really, really important program. I am thankful that uh, my wife has arrived in the United States safely. Uh, she, as of the last report that was sitting on my phone when I woke up this morning, had arrived at her gate in San Francisco ready for her connecting flight to Chicago. So the journey continues. Yes, I will be taking that journey soon myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fun time. She did say that it had an apocalyptic feel walking through the, the uh, airport terminal with all the shops closed. Yeah. Nobody in the shops and a massive lineup outside the terminal uh, where they were working, you know, just getting people through the door one at a time, one at a time, one at a time through the door. And all of this massive social distancing that was being strictly enforced. And of course, uh, yeah, airport terminals, terminals can be a hotspot. So very important right there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Ministry of Healing by Ellen White, and it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, it is so encouraging and uplifting, and also um, it's very helpful to life today with health and happiness. I love the connection in this book between spirituality and health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was listening to, you know, some programs that were being advertised on uh, another station. I probably shouldn't be admitting that I listened to other stuff, but I was listening to another station and uh, they were advertising these programs and they were talking about, you know, this, you know, nutrition and, and, you know, um, exercise and all the, you know, basically the eight laws of health. And then they come to mindfulness and I'm thinking mindfulness, you know, non-Christian people are missing so much when they cut spirituality out of the whole health equation. Um, and I just felt I just felt sad for them. I just I, I honestly just felt sad for them that they have to run with mindfulness when we can run with, you know, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, such an incredible privilege. If you've never experienced it, then you don't know what you're missing out on, and you should give your life to Jesus Christ today. Experience it for yourself. Okay, let's have some positively different news this morning, Angela. Well, my first story is about a high school teenager. Well, actually, she's not in high school because she has found a way to make plastic with prawn shells, uh, which I think is quite incredible. She's 17, lives in Adelaide, and her name is Angelina Aurora, and she is the event inventor of a bioplastic made from prawn shells that completely degrades within about 33 days in the landfill. That's pretty cool. So basically, you use your bait 
only good thing prawns are cool. Yeah. They're I only good for bait. Don't fish. So sorry. <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> um, the only thing that prawns are any good for is bait. Well, now they're good for making biodegradable plastic as well. Yeah. She was basically trying to find it. And one night they were eating. And that dinner was like, oh, wait a second. This looks like plastic. And that is what started her on a better trail as she that's was not, trying to find something. That's not a bad effort for a 17-year-old. And we just need to start prawn farms all across the world. And lo and behold, we'll have our plastic problem solved. Yeah, this material is found to be flexible, durable, and soluble, transparent, making it a perfect alternative for common plastic packaging. Now, I would think it's possibly also really good fertilizer. Exactly. That's my next one. Oh, wow. You took yes. my thunder or you just uh, read my mind. No, I just guessed <laughs> at it because we used to put, uh, we used to use. You know, we, when we used to do a lot of fishing back when I was young, of course, all of the fish heads and guts went into the garden. And it was the most amazing <laughs> fertilizer you have ever seen. Yeah, well, prawn exoskeletons are rich in nitrogen, the most important ingredient in plant fertilizers. And this makes your material especially useful to farmers and agriculturalists as it would degrade quite normally in fields or common compost pits while providing their crops with the nitrogen needed to maximize plants' nutrition and immunity. There you go. I wonder whether you could use this for making explosives. What? Why? Why? <laughs> We're talking, talking about, about nitrogen, and so I'm just sort of like, you know, let's 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 just go to the next level with this, and let's um, let's make something else that's practical and useful out of it, other than just um, fertilizer. Practical and useful as explosives. Yeah, that's how we that's how we mine. That's how we build roads. That's how we do lots of things is with explosives. Or we could feed people with healthy food. All that. <laughs> but explosives are way more fun. You know they're more fun, right? No, I like to keep all my 10 fingers. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Our next story is from Africa, Uganda, where two Uganda entrepreneurs took things to the next level. The government had shut down all non-essential business. And these two gentlemen decided that they were going to do something different with their plastics company. And so they decided to begin recycling plastic waste into face shields for medical workers. Oh, cool. Very cool. So what they did was they posted their prototype on social media. And that afternoon, they got a surprising call from the regional hospital asking for 10 face shields because they didn't have enough. So they made the 10. And then that afternoon, later on, they, got asked, they were asked for even more. This company has made 1,200 face shields so far. And what's even more inspiring is the company staff of 14 includes six employees who are homeless, jobless youth. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't that incredible? We need to have way more stories and way more entrepreneurs out there who can find you know, people in these kind of situations and give them a start in life. You know, it's, it's really hard when you're a homeless person to get a job. Yes. You know, it's like you turn up for a job interview and it's like, well, uh, you know, where do you, where, what, what's, what's your, your address? address no no or... fixed address. And immediately that's just like, you know, you can't get much of a bigger strike against your name than that. And uh, here's somebody who's giving these guys a start. So that's fantastic. Good news. So around 500 of those shields have been sold in private to, to hospitals or privately managed health facilities at a low cost. But get this, the other 700 were donated to public hospitals. That's amazing. And these are these are something that are in drastically short supply during the COVID crisis. Yes, all around the world there yeah. has been issues. And here there's two entrepreneurs that are like, wait a second. Not only can we offer employment, but we can also solve another issue that's quite large, and that is protecting our medical people. And recycling plastic. So they're... they're, they're, they're Triple. They are, they are killing three birds with one stone. Yes, it's incredible. They... 
Uh, their location can reduce 132 pounds or 60 kilograms of plastic per day, but they're aiming to establish a monthly capacity of nine metric tons. Okay. That's uh, nine metric tons. Is That's that's decent. That's, um, that's a pretty significant amount right there. Yeah. So as you can see, my theme is plastic because I think it's a very large issue in our world today. Couldn't Plastics in our oceans, um, and we're having all sorts of difficulties with this huge onslaught of plastic. We And here in Australia, it's really surprised me, your plastic containers that you get for takeout. I feel like in America, we just use paper or um, like cardboard things for our takeout food, but you guys actually have these little plastic containers that are your takeouts. And to me, I'm like, I can't throw this plastics. away. I just need to keep reusing this over and over and over because it seems such a shame when it's so durable and strong. And you just think about all the ways that plastic is used in this world, and we need to get creative about how to reuse it. We even started washing our plastic bags um, to help reuse them. No, I think it's a fantastic idea. And of course, you know, it's interesting how society moves because I can remember when we bought groceries in paper bags, and then that became, you know, a bad thing because we were cutting down trees to make paper. And so we went to plastic so that we're not cutting down trees. But now we've suddenly realized, well, actually, trees are a renewable resource. And so we're back to paper again. And paper is easily recyclable compared to, or easier than plastic. And, you know, you can plant a tree and grow some more paper, but you can't, uh, you know, get more fossil fuels. So I think that we need to continue to wage this war on plastic. Anybody who has been to a developing country knows what a curse that plastic is because you can actually see the problem there. Whereas in developed countries, it all goes into landfill where we can't see it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM positively different okay so joining us in the studio this morning is our master of everything weird wonderful wacky and obscure in the bible kelvin langman welcome to the show you're gonna to have to come right in close to that microphone there good morning how are we uh we are fantastic this morning and we are looking forward to what strange things you have dug out from scripture today where are we starting Isaiah chapter 20 verse 3 all right i'm heading there i'm Got heading a, there isaiah 20 and verse 3 what have you got Okay, so we're, we're talking about um, an interesting topic here. Isaiah is um, Okay, this is an interesting one. Yes, it is. Okay, this will make it, everyone feel uncomfortable during their yeah, it will. morning breakfast. I'm just wondering whether this is a method that you use you know, with your prophecy seminars. Uh, no. No? No. Okay. And, and moreover, this is a method I will... <laughs> I will never use. You'll never use. I will never use this method. Okay. Should we? I, I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there to say that I will never use this in my. I'm glad that Isaiah did it and not me. Okay. If you got your verses there. Yep. Starting at verse three. Can somebody share, please? Then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and a wonder against Egypt and Ethiopia. Okay. That's confronting. Mm. Slightly. So. What's interesting, in their culture, it was quite a shame to be naked. Absolutely. Like in Greek culture, they were quite happy to walk around naked. But in Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture, like, yep, they didn't want to be naked. That was quite embarrassing. And um, what's very interesting is verse 4, if you can keep reading. Yep. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians as prisoners and the Ethiopians as captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Mm. This so is actually prophesying with your buttock uncovered, I think, is a peculiar area that people, the market hasn't been tapped yet. 
Yes, it, no, this There's is true. Let's hope that it never is. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, concept that God is using here because in ancient times when people were taken as slaves, it was standard practice that they would be taken naked. naked. Yep. And so Isaiah is, this is one of many acted out prophecies that you have in the Bible that are there to, I guess, catch our attention. And God was harnessing the power of social media. Of course, social media in those days was probably more efficient than you know Twitter and so forth that we have now because social media was basically gossip. Yes. And this would definitely yep. have started some gossip. And it would have been, yeah, spread far and wide because that was quite an un- unusual behavior for someone to have. It so is. My question, I don't know that he was naked all the time. Like it may have been just partial nakedness. And... Jewish we like to, we like to think so. We'd I like, kind of yeah, hope so. Yeah. It Let, doesn't say so, but <laughs> it makes me feel more comfortable that yes. it was. <laughs> it's quite often, uh, quite common, you would have your inner garments and then you would have your outer garments. Um, so it may have been for some of the time he only had his outer garments removed, but talking about the buttocks uncovered, like that's definitely, you can't dispute that, can you? So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. At some point, he may have uh, had the necessity to um, walk around butt naked. It uh, it does raise interesting uh, interesting concepts as far as you know, well, morality and so forth as well. Because a lot of mm. people in today's day and age would see that as being something that was immoral, and yet this was how. God chose to deliver a prophecy, and I can see myself mm. getting into all kinds of trouble <laughs> with this one on radio this morning. Well, I'm just wondering how, the, with going with the Lady Godiva theme, like when the prophet comes along, does everyone go, oh, no, it's the prophet. I can't look. I can't look. I tend to think that possibly would have been the case. <laughs> yep. It definitely would have been my reaction. Hmm. But, and this is the point. This is the point right here, and this is why God is doing this. It's because it gets a reaction. Hmm. It grabs your attention. And, yep. and it gets your reaction every time you see it. And so people are not going to forget this message because, I mean, you think about it. Isaiah comes along. Isaiah stands up in the marketplace and pronounces a prophecy. How many people were actually listening to Isaiah or taking note of him? You know, and how much, you know, would we? How, how we, we are blessed with so much prophecy that is given to us today. And how much of it... Do we just read, read, read through it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great, and move on? Whereas if it was right there in front of you every single day and you're being confronted by it and it was making you feel uncomfortable, you couldn't exactly ignore it, could you? No, and you've got to deal with it. You have to process it and work out, make some sense out of it. So, Lyle, are you willing to take your next prophecy <laughs> seminar and you know help us be a little bit more uncomfortable? It's not going to happen this way because <laughs> there is no prophecy in the Bible that I can think of that says that we are facing imminent slavery. Well, you know, Sunday laws, but yeah, not 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 in the same context at all. Okay, there is no context in which I can see this would be relevant in today's culture, and. I'm thankful of that. (laughs) I think everybody else is as well. (laughs) Okay, so moving forward, the next one I want to share is um, Lot and Lot's wife. Okay. So Genesis chapter 19. Yes. So there's a couple of interesting things. and You know know why Lot's wife no longer exists, right? It rained. 
Oh, mercy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) anyway, where are we going? Genesis chapter what? Chapter 19. According to Jewish legend, uh, cows come along and have licked at her feet because she was a pillar of salt. So that's why she is no more. Okay. Uh, and I, I don't know that even... Does it, does it rain down, near, down there near the Dead Sea? Occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. But she would have... Uh, it, and it would make sense that in the early days, uh, as a pillar of salt, then animals would use that as a salt lick. Absolutely. Rather than recognising it as a human being. So when we gloss through the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we've got three gentlemen coming to visit Abraham and Sarah. So what do they do with Abraham and Sarah? Uh, Abraham and Sarah do with the three visitors? Invite them in for a meal. Yep. Actually, they coerce them. They don't, they don't want them to continue on. They yeah, yeah, they, they strongly, they, they, they urge, strongly them. urge them and drag them in. Mm-hmm. So as was the custom. So once they're allowed to... Um, and it still is the, often the custom over there amongst um, yep. um, you know, Bedouins and so forth today. Incredible hospitality. Yeah, incredible. Um, and it's an example for us to be as generous, like with our time, effort, food, drink. So these three visitors go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And once they get into Sodom, Lot runs out to see them and says, well, guess what? You've got to come back to my place. What's really interesting is with Abraham, it's Sarah providing the food and drink. When you read about Lot, once he invites his guests, he actually prepares the food and the drink. Like there's a bit of a, a disparity between Abraham and Lot. There's a, a difference there when you read through scripture. Okay. I've never noticed this before. Yeah. Didn't I tell you this guy is the, is the, is the, is the master of all things obscure? All right. So here's the, here's the, what's the meaning of this difference, Kelvin? Well, I want to get back to that. Can, okay. can we come back? Sure, sure. Yep. See how much time we end up with. But there's, um, we'll keep going with the story. The men of Sodom come out to, to Lot and. They want to rape his guests. They want to rape his his guests, yes. So he resists. And I've often wondered why did he put forward his daughters? But it's culture. Uh, When someone comes into your house, you protect them with your life. You protect them with all of your possessions, with all of your materials, with all of your strength. This was culture, but it was not good culture. And it was not biblical culture. Either way you look at it, there was not going to be a good result. No. So from our Western culture, we see that as quite a a bad thing to do, to offer up um, your daughters. But there was a reason for it. But anyway, um, Lot, once the men were blinded, that gave them a, a breathing space. So they were told to get out of Sodom, get out of Dodge as quick as they can. So they used the opportunity to go and warn their daughters. So there were two daughters that were married in Sodom, and then there were the two daughters that um, Lot and his wife had, and they, they didn't exactly get out quick enough. Like they, they said, well... They had to get dragged out. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Here's an, here's an example in Scripture where these men... The angels actually grabbed them by the hands and had to help them get out. Had they not done so, like 
Patriarchs and Prophets says that had they not done so, that was their absolute last moment to get out. Like they should have really left when they were first warned. Anyway, um, these, they left and went to Zoar, but as we all know, Lot's wife turned around and um, turned into a pillar of salt. So what's the significance of the salt? Why? What does salt mean in the Bible? When you look at salt and its significance, what's the different purposes and uses for salt? This is, this is interesting because, I mean, Jesus talks about salt in a very positive light in the New Testament. Yes. And yet doctors today is like, no, we've got to reduce our salt intake because that's high blood pressure. And yet Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Yes. Well, salt is used to flavor and also salt is used to preserve. Yes. That's an imp- two very important things. But what we, did, what we missed there, when Abraham came to his three guests, he set before them chabad, which is the bread, and he set before them salt. So it was custom you would dip your bread in the salt and eat your bread that way. So salt was used for hospitality. Um, so salt is also, um, it's part of the sealing a deal. Like when you sign a contract, like salt is involved in that process. But what's really interesting, um, when you look at the Levitical sacrificial system, like when you had a grain offering, it says that salt had to be used in all of your offerings. It says, do not leave the salt of the covenant off your grain offerings. So they had to use it. So here we see the salt involved in this um, process. And we also see that there's salt in hospitality, there's salt in their culture. So this also ties in with the parable of the wheat and the tares. Like you've got the, the grain, the grain offering. Um, but the, the Midrash, which is a commentary on the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, it talks about how Lot and his wife were harvested or judged, and, and that's what the, the first fruits and were part of that judgment. There was a judgment. And remember, Jesus spoke about, um, he gave the parable of the wheat and tares, mm-hmm. and his servants were, let's go out and pluck the tares. They said, no, no, leave it. Because there was two parts to that. Like they wanted the the wheat to mature, but they wanted the tares left so that you could separate them easily once they mature and once they are easily distinguished one from the other. But getting back to... um, This story crosses back over a few times. Getting back to the Midrash, it teaches that his his wife, which according to the Midrash, they said that her name was Edith. It says that Edith was uh, judged because... she actually went to the neighbours and said, I've got visitors coming and I want to borrow some salt. So she used this as an excuse to go and spread the word that there were foreigners in staying in their house. So when she leaves town, not only is she worried about her daughters, but she's also done so because she's, in a, in a dual sense, she's broken the promise that the angels asked her to, to, to make. Um, so as she's escaping, she turns around, looks, and then she sees the, the fire, which, remember, the tears and the wheat were thrown into the fire. And because of that, um, she's judged because of the salt. Because she broke her covenant with salt, she was then punished with salt. So that's the answer that I have. 
that's most interesting. It uh, never ceases to amaze me. The, uh, the, the the small and obscure things that you kind of just miss in the Bible. Uh, Kelvin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We always appreciate the time that you come and spend with us and draw out a new lesson and a lesson from salt this morning and the symbolism of salt and really talking about why, yeah, Lot's wife was turned into salt, particularly looking at some of the uh, Hebrew traditions, the Jewish traditions that have come down from that time or, or from the past to us uh, now anyway. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so we had a question that came in live during the live show on uh, on our on our small group interactive Bible study on Saturday morning. So that means that it is now time for... Question of the day. So, Lyle, what is our question of the day? Okay, so Therese called through and asked this question, and I didn't know the answer. Oh. Because we were talking about Paul and how Paul was a lawyer, and she said, how do you know that Paul was a lawyer? I'm like, I don't know. How do I know that? I've always known Paul was a lawyer. Doesn't everybody know that Paul was a lawyer? And I'm just sort of thinking, I, I, I could not bring out a Bible verse on that. Okay, so now we're going to have a look at how do we know that Paul was a lawyer? Okay, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and we will look at verse 34. Acts 5 and verse 34, the Bible says, Then stood up, then stood there up in the council a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. Okay, so here we find this interesting individual by the name of Gamaliel, and the Bible describes him as, as a doctor of the law. All right? Then if we go over to Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, so we'll go to Acts 22 and verse 3 now, and let's read what Paul himself has to say. Acts 22 and where are we? Verse 3. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. So stop there for a moment. Gamaliel, Gamaliel is a doctor of the law. Paul is being educated by Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. Okay, so what was it that Paul was trained in? He was trained in Jewish law. Law, yep. So that's what he was. Now, is that exactly the same as you know your average lawyer today? No. Jewish law would have been very, very different back in those days. Um, it was very religious law. It would have been quite different from you know the the work and the function of a lawyer today. But that does not change the fact that he was still a lawyer. What was interesting, and this was something that um, Lawson actually raised during the interactive small group Bible study, is that when he goes to Damascus, he goes with a company of armed men. He does not go there as a police officer. He goes there as a prosecutor because he has these police officers that go with him to obviously arrest Christians and so forth. And uh, when he throws them into jail, it's not him physically dragging people off and locking them up. He is acting as a chief prosecutor. 
Hmm. And is that why when Stephen was stoned, Paul was the one that held the coats? Yes, he wasn't the one that was throwing the stones. He was the one who was holding the coats. And so here you've got a lawyer who is, you know, because a chief prosecutor, that's a, that's a job that a lawyer does. And so Paul was definitely, you know, or the Bible says very clearly, he was, uh, he was trained in every aspect of the law. That makes him a lawyer. Um, and so, yeah, we find that's, um, that's who he was. He was uh, an expert in the law and particularly the law of God. That's our question of the day. And Therese, hopefully you were able to tune in and get your answers for that one because we did promise the other day when we did not know the answer that we would find the answer. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of good to be challenged with something and go, well, you know what? I need to be humble right now because I haven't got the foggiest idea. I've just maybe this is something that I've just grown up with and assumed, but no, it actually is there in the Bible.